Hey, it's me, Sean. You know, it's something that might land up hurting you later on. And that's also Sean. My name is spelled S-E-A-N. His is... S-H-A-U-N. Not that that makes too much difference when you're listening. Oh, and you're listening to Some Assembly Required, the podcast that looks at ways in which we can improve our relationships with ourselves and with others. So, how are you? I realize that you might be driving or cooking while you listen to this. You could be walking the dog, feeding your child, doing some gardening, or maybe you've just sat down to enjoy some liquid courage. Coffee in my case. Wherever you find yourself, thanks for choosing me to keep you company. I don't take that for granted. Okay, so one more time. How have you been? What's happening in your world? How's your body? Are you feeling any aches? What do you understand about your physical ailments? If, like me, you have aches and pains that come and go, you may have tried a few different methods of alleviating said ailments. I have tried physiotherapy. I've seen chiropractors. I've done some body stress release, TRE, which is trauma or tension release exercises. I've even tried rolfing. For those that don't know, rolfing is when a practitioner massages the muscles and fascia, not only where you're feeling pain, but all over your body with the goal of fixing your body's posture so that it corrects any lingering imbalances that are causing the pain that you're feeling. Now, sometimes we can identify the reason for the pains that we're feeling. You know, like I walk into a countertop accidentally and bruise my hip or I lift a weight from a position of instability and because of that, I end up pulling a muscle or pinching a nerve. But what if the origin of the pain you feel in your body isn't as obvious to identify? Growing up, I was quite active. Family members would often describe me as having ants in my pants because I simply could not, would not sit still. Something that Sean Brooking and I have in common. Okay, good. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Sean. And uh, yeah, always good to catch up with an old friend. Oh, yes. Sean and I go way back. More specifically, we swam for the same competitive swim team when we were at school. He was very good, nimble and powerful. Me, yeah. When I realized that I could do things quite well with my body, you know, I tried everything. Rugby, hockey, cricket. Tried football, but I was terrible at it. <laughs> Tennis was okay, but now I'm terrible at it. <laughs> Primary school was a bit of everything. And then I really settled into kind of the gymnastics and the swimming realm. Sean went on to become a competitive lifeguard and a triathlete. Exercise was a way of life for both of us. It felt quite natural. It was something of an outlet. It was a place I could also escape to at the time, you know, and then also being very competitive, I think psycho-emotionally was what was going on for me at that time, really allowed that to be a place where I could just be quiet in the noise. As a young athlete, I was very aware of the need to push my body, you know, lift heavier weights in the gym to build stronger muscles. Now, for a muscle to increase in size, one would need to continually challenge the muscles to deal with higher levels of resistance or weight. This process is known as muscle hypertrophy. I think I pronounced that correctly. Muscle hypertrophy occurs when the fibers of the muscles sustain damage or injury. The body then repairs the damaged fibers by fusing them, which increases the mass and size of the muscles. Fair enough. Now, let's say I had a rough day at school or varsity or 
work. Maybe I got bullied on the playground. I got shouted at by a lecturer. I didn't get to eat my lunch because I was in front of the emails the entire day. And then I attempted to go and put my body through rigorous exercise. I, for one, was definitely not aware of how my body, especially in my younger years, was potentially holding on to any of the the stresses, the pressures of my day. I didn't really have an open developmental kind of dialogue with, let's say, developmental figures in the emotional world. You know, I experienced the world in a very different way because of the person I was developing to be. So I had to express myself in certain ways. And the world doesn't really accept or acknowledge a young man to show emotion. So then sport became a place where I could burn off all that emotional energy that wasn't allowed to express in society. Yeah, we know those age old things, little boys don't cry, don't show emotion, don't show weakness. And that wasn't something that was, you know, hammered into me. But society, it's still there subliminally. And, you know, parental figures don't say it directly, but it's still felt, it's perceived, right, in some way, shape or form. So yeah, at the end of it, when going into high school, swimming and uh, the gymnastics became quite a place where I could just also hide and find a bit of sanctuary. And then leading into the end of high school, I settled into triathlon and the lifesaving because the swimming is quite tough. You know, if you're not number one, you don't make the team. Looking at my sport then, I was really looking for a place where I can get the affection, get the love, get the appreciation that I might not have felt I was getting elsewhere in the world. So I then burnt out finding my identity as an athlete. I was just pushing myself all the time because I was wanting to satisfy those core human needs of being loved, appreciated, or wanted in some way. And then that was the wrong intention for me to actually do the athletic endeavor. Behaviorally, inside me, I was going to sport to satisfy that, but it didn't satisfy it. So when you don't make a team, you don't make the cut, it then reaffirms Oh, yeah. That thing that you're thinking about yourself. Yeah, you're it. I wanted to know, since Sean is now a professional facilitator, what does he think some of the emotions he was dealing with then could have included? Definite like loss, loneliness. When you feel cluster of those emotions, the anger, the depression, the frustration, you know, you begin to start fighting yourself and fighting life in very different ways which are not nourishing, you know, everything becomes a competition then because of the pressure I was feeling of not having those deeper desires satisfied, those core human needs. And then the thing I was doing that I thought was going to help me and was a sanctuary, you know, it was telling you it was the beat down again. So all those big, strong emotions come with that, the loneliness, the fear, the loss. I mean, it was, I suspect, a lot of depression through my younger years, you know, it got to black, dark places. And it's, You know, I was doing the sport and it became something that I actually hurt myself in, which I learned later in life. You know, okay, I was doing that thing there to um, manage or express something that I wasn't willing to get support on or how to ask for support. It's, it's a lot of strong emotions labeled with that. Yeah. Sean earned a sports science qualification with an honors degree in human performance. He's now a specialist personal trainer in London, where he's fully immersed in the fascinating realm of somatic coaching for regenerative energy, freedom of movement and authentic living. It was through his tertiary education and on-the-job experience that Sean started to analyze how our bodies might hold stress and tension. I was kind of ending my third and fourth year at Stellenbosch. And then I was working in the high performance lab. So now I'm getting a mirror view of the performance world 
as my body's breaking down and then basically witnessing how not so healthy the performance world is. We patch up the athletes, get them on the field, get up and go, right? It's just a patch up job. We've got to keep the machine moving. So we still view the body in this mechanistic way. We treat the parts. Hopefully the whole gets better. You know, then you can perform, you can do your life. Same thing. You get injured, you go to the physio, we look at that site of injury. There are changes happening where we look at the whole person and we look at the compensations because of that injury on the one side of the body. But I wasn't convinced that that was the only thing. So the harder, faster, stronger thing, right? That's what I learned in kind of the athlete realm isn't really healthy. When I came to the UK, I started working in clinics and I was doing a lot of rehab, manual therapy, hands-on work. When people were coming into the clinic, you know, the other side of the, the coin here was that people bounce out of the clinic with no pain. They're feeling good. Then we give them the exercises and the movements to do that are going to help them, but then they don't do them. So I was like, okay, what's about this thing now that we don't want to help ourselves? So there must be something about behavior. I'm ashamed to say that I fall into this category of patient. I do leave a physio with the best intentions of doing the rehab exercises. I even make a follow-up appointment soon after, forcing myself to follow through with those intentions. But it just doesn't happen. When I was doing the manual therapy, hands-on work, there was another kind of light bulb moment where people were talking about their life and under my hands, slowly I started feeling different things of, through their tissues. So this one guy was chatting to me about his relationships at work and he hated his boss. Like he walks in the room and I mean, his shoulder would just come up. I would see all this tension come back in and he kept coming to me for this right shoulder issue. So four sessions in, I was a young therapist at the time, being a direct South African. I said, well, it doesn't sound like you have a good relationship with your boss. You should change jobs. <laughs> so he was shocked and he did come back a year later. <laughs> I looked at him and I said, oh, you look better. I was like, is your shoulder better? And he said, yes. I was like, you quit your job, didn't you? And he said, yes. I was like, okay. So there's something here in how we relate to others that affects our body on an emotional level. So there's some psycho-emotional interaction behaviorally and how we're training our bodies that isn't all kind of fitting into place here. As Sean makes this discovery, I'm reminded that I too am only just scraping the surface of what the body remembers. And just saying that reminds me of a book, a New York Times bestseller, in fact, called The Body Keeps the Score. You may have heard of it. Bessel van der Kolk is the psychiatrist, author, and researcher. He's an educator based in the U.S. Uh, that put the book together. And his research has primarily been in the area of post-traumatic stress. Maybe it's something you want to consider reading yourself. Anyway, back to the story. So that's when I started looking at more of brain-based training. So I looked at the neuroscience of how we actually change, so neuroplasticity. So we can change behaviors through emotional regulation, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to others. And then the somatics came in because that was a more of a, a way into how the conversation might be structured you know, in a coaching dynamic, but it's still keeping the mind-body access front and center. Somatic therapy emphasizes helping patients develop resources within themselves in order to self-regulate their emotions or to move out of that fight-flight-freeze response and into a higher functioning mode where they can think more clearly. So we're not leaving any of our parts out of the room like we would with the athlete world or the rehab world, you know, treat the parts. I'm looking at the entirety of this being. It's how they're functioning within their life, how they're relating to themselves, first of all, and their body. 
right? We usually relate to the body as when we've got an injury, let's just say for a simple example, this shoulder, that thing, very dissociative. No wonder you're fighting yourself or your pain regulation is going up when you're talking to yourself that way. And then you layer your relationships on the outside world on top of that. And then you put your work life on top of that. Maybe you've got kids. And then just the stress of life moving through day to day. It's a whole life, whole person approach uh, using many modalities with a strong neuroscience background because the neuroscience was quite a big eye-opener for me. Even in a sports science world or exercise science world, we're still learning about the brain and the nervous system, which controls everything. I'm sure by now you will have listened to the very first episode of Some Assembly Required. In it, you'll learn that I have a daughter that's got special needs. One of the things I didn't share in that episode is that the very first neurologist we saw told us that Zoe's a plane we cannot fix, close quote. And if I'm honest, I think the audacity of his comment, while it's an educated guess, has sparked my fascination with neuroplasticity. That nervous system signal needs to be well-oiled. And as we're learning this, we're also coming to terms with the fact that our body does hold tension. It's holding pressure. So for us to improve the signal speed and improve our abilities to do certain things, it's almost like we need to unclog our nervous system. Does that make sense? Yes, 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 yes. If we look at the nervous system like a, a traffic light, so red zone, amber zone, green zone. Green zone is where we want to function most of the time. We call it the rest and digest phase. Nervous system is calm. We can relate well. Our digestive system is nice and soothed. You know, there's not too much stress environmentally. You can think creatively. It's a really good place to be. Generally in life, we function between amber and green. Amber is probably where I'd say I'm, I'm now at. I'm quite here. I'm present. I've got to be alert. I've got to figure out what I'm saying. Uh, there's a little bit of muscle tension in my body. There's a little bit of nerves you know, all those things, but I can perform. We call that kind of the function stage. When we get into the red zone, that's when we start to kind of push the limit on, you know, if we live in the red zone too long, that's where it becomes a problem health-wise because we might have strong emotions there, frustration, anger, also kind of more not so useful, depression, sadness, loneliness, but it's still a pressure on the nervous system, lots of tension in your body, but you wouldn't want to have an argument with the person in the red zone right? They're screaming, they're shouting, they're not very relatable. You also could be in the red zone with yourself. Yeah. Really not so useful inner self-talk, right? That could push you into that red zone. I remember the peak of my burnout, end of 2019, beginning 2020, sensorily, everything was overwhelming, whether it be the quality of the light or the temperature of the room, every sound, whether it be a bird tweeting in the distance dogs barking upstairs or somebody dropping a spoon in the kitchen right in front of me it all felt like it was right up in my face and that is not a healthy space to be so if i look back at my childhood there was a lot of pressure there things i wasn't addressing not so useful emotions and things i wasn't really dealing with up in my head and not allowing to express there was a lot of pressure then i go and do the physical thing more pressure Performance, competition, more pressure. University, more pressure. Now I just look back and think, wow, if I knew this then and I could stay in green and amber zone, how much better would have I competed? I would have thought much more clearly. You know, I probably would have got better results on my test papers. All of those things. 
when we look at it that way, it's like if that baseline functioning and we're always living in the red zone, we might not be doing our best things or achieving the things we want to achieve or get stuck in loops of, you know, those not so helpful conversations with ourselves or our partner. The brain and the nervous system have to be front and center with everything to describe the nervous system in a very simple way, which is, it's quite complex. If you look at that traffic light system, you know, ask yourself what zone you're in before you go into anything, I think is the best thing. I just take a moment to pause and just check in and like, what zone am I in? What do I need? You know, exercise might not be the best choice because I'm in my red zone. And you'd be surprised how quickly you can get out of your red zone if you learn techniques to regulate yourself back to baseline. And then you can go, you can go to the gym straight away then, right? Your nervous system works at lightning speed, taking that opportunity to harness that power. Isn't that fascinating to think that our nervous system responds so quickly that we can take ourselves from the red zone to the amber and all the way down to the green zone in just a few moments? The exercise and performance world is not somewhere where we can de-stress. If you're already stressed under a lot of pressure, exercise or movement or anything is a form of stress on the body. So if your baseline is already stressed, and that can be, you know, stress is not just, oh, work stress, life stress. Your body responds to a thought pattern. I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. That's pressure on your nervous system. Then the beat down of depression, not feeling acknowledged. The world is interacting with me with this way. I can't form good relationships because I don't know how. More pressure, more stress. Then you go and do a physical thing. Imagine it's a big backpack. You've got all that weight on you, neurologically, the pressure. Then you go and do something that you think is going to nourish you because we told that story, right? We told that do the exercise, do the diet. But if that baseline system or pressure you're under is not addressed, those things that you think are nourishing are going to come back and bite you. You've got to do something else to decompress that type of stress first before you go into those uh, endeavors you want to feel that are nourishing. Otherwise, you're just fighting yourself at the end of the day. I think there's still so much more to unpack and explore when it comes to regulating how your body and how your mind are perceiving the world around you. In some way, it's good that it's filtered down to a level that we don't feel or sense all the noise all the time. But when we really, really focus on it, we can be really attuned to what we want to achieve and be intentional with for our bodies or for our spirit, for the movement of the body, right? What we want to achieve with it. So a lot of that does happen subconsciously for good reason, because that's why you and I can have a conversation now. If we then filtered the world with all of the noise, all of the stimulation, um, we wouldn't be able to function too well. And that's kind of just a neurological thing that happens for us. So yeah, that's pretty much why we're not aware of it then when we're just playing and enjoying um, and connecting with the earth or with other or the tree, you know, it just becomes really, I think in that sense, if we don't have to worry about all the other stuff and we're not aware of it, that's where the beauty is, right? It can just be about that. I'm connecting with my body, with the surface I'm on or climbing or rolling on, you know, and then getting into the, the medium of water, you know, there's a different interaction there. So just enjoying that connectedness and interaction for what it is rather than worrying about any other thing, basically. It was at this point in my conversation with Sean that I said to him, I think we need to have a guided practice. Sean obliged. 
So I'm very excited to share with you that the next episode of Some Assembly Required is a body-based practice called swiping that's designed to help you check in with yourself. This means that instead of waiting two weeks to get to the next episode, I'm going to release a bonus episode this week. You know, imagine having all of yourself at the party, not just all your best pieces of yourself at the party, not just, you know, the cognitive. That's just a small snippet of what you can look forward to feeling in the next episode of Some Assembly Required. Take a look at seanbrookingcoaching.co.uk to find more information about his one-on-one sessions or online group sessions. And I do believe Sean will be traveling to South Africa at the end of 2022. So maybe you want to connect with him before then. A quick thank you to all of those that sent me messages saying how much you enjoyed the very first episode. I really do appreciate your feedback. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Gotta try my luck there. And don't forget to subscribe to Some Assembly Required wherever you listen to podcasts. Original music by Josh Prince-Loop. Production by me, Sean. Thank you for listening to Some Assembly Required.